As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So today we talk with J.R. Little, the author of Listening Brands, How Data is Rewriting the Rules of Branding. And so we've got a fantastic conversation about how large brands are using social data in their branding, in their marketing, and what we can do to, to really do the same thing. Some of this we, we may already be doing. Some of this are, may spark a new idea for you in your marketing on how you can build demographics and target those demographics and reach new people. So if you're going after a new market, what can you do to make sure that your branding reflects their interests? And so really great conversation. He also works at Carrot, a fantastic uh, branding agency out of the UK. 
And so he's doing this all day. And, and so he's very immersed in this branding world. So it's a really interesting insight for us as entrepreneurs to get. So I really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So JR, first off, welcome to the show. Really excited to talk to you today. We're going to be talking about data and brands, which is something that I don't usually put together. Yeah. And you know, you're not the only one that doesn't put those two things together. I think most marketers do not put those things together, um, especially because many um, agencies within sort of your big marketing conglomerates are very specialized. So sometimes the people that know about the data are not talking to the people that are doing the brand building. Um, and they should be. And that's what my book sort of um, claims and tries to prove. So the book is Listening Brands, How Data is Rewriting the Rules of Branding. For readers of this book, what are they going to take away? What they can read from this book is I wrote it from a perspective of wanting to inform a marketer that may be, one, intimidated by data, or two, um, hesitant to use data in their branding or creative process. Um, so, you know, for people that already work in the sort of data industry, um, they may just feel some validation from what it says, and they may, it may spark some new ideas. But it's really for those people that this is a new concept for, the idea of marrying the two worlds. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that's the angle of the book. And what my point of view is, is that we have kind of um, come into this period where there are, in, in marketing and, and just in our lives, where there are so many data points being generated that um, we can now use those data points to create the insights to build or guide our brands. And that may sound like, well, yeah, okay, duh. But often in the marketing or advertising process, we come up with a brand and we come up with an idea. And a lot of that stuff is usually based on intuition by what is usually, say, a creative agency or, an, uh, or a traditional advertising agency. And it's only at the sort of executional optimization part that is often done by digital agencies or media agencies or even sort of your media players that we start even looking at the data. And my point is, yes, we need to look at the data during, say, a digital campaign to make it work better, but we should be also looking at the data generated by past campaigns or current campaigns to advise, advise what we're going to do next. So maybe we should start off with defining what a brand is because people yeah. think about brands in many different ways. So how do you approach it? Right. Um, that is an, um, that's a wonderful question. And, um, you know, brand is that intangible thing 
that adds value beyond the tangible parts of a company. Now, I don't think it's a logo. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think it even um, has to be a name, although it probably will be. Um, but it's that sort of trust and that sort of belief in the mind of a consumer. Um, so it's quite an intangible thing, but we know it adds value. Um, and, you know, if we look at brands like Coca-Cola, you know, if you dissect the ingredients, we're talking about an aluminum can, we're talking about some paint, and we're talking about some water with sugar or sweetener, and we're talking about some coloring and some other um, stuff that makes it fizzy. Um, but that doesn't create the value that is the brand of Coca-Cola. It's all those associations. Um, so when I'm talking about a brand, I'm talking about um, the associations um, and this intangible sort of concept in the minds of consumers. So let's take Coca-Cola and see how they might use data to influence their brand. Yeah, I think that's um, I think it's a, a wonderful one, and I think it's a wonderful one because I actually talk about two potential soft drink companies inside the book. Um, <laughs> while I don't give them names, if we were to talk about Coca-Cola and actually their competitor, Pepsi, um, we can see that one of those companies has done a little bit of a better job of using um, data to understand the sort of microcultures that um, their consumers appeal to. And then Coca-Cola has sort of tried to just use their size and their scale and their sort of um, the strength of their sort of creative work to, you know, broadcast these inspiring messages to people. Um, but I'm not so confident those messages are already are, are landing where they should land or resonating with who they should um, resonate with. Um, so what I believe Coca-Cola could do, um, and I'm sure to some degree they're already doing this, is to learn more about those people that have engaged with them or learn more about those people they want to engage with through data to then inform all of their marketing and branding activities. Um, and that could be from, you know, the concept of a video all the way to where they want to put their advertising dollars online to what social platforms they want to do partnerships with. So we're going to get right back into the interview. But first, just a quick word from our sponsor. All right, now back to our interview with J.R. Little. So if there was an ideal meeting at Coca-Cola, who's at the table? Yeah. In order to bring all the data and the strategy together to implement this concept. Yeah. Well, they will definitely have um they'll have they'll definitely have a like a chief data officer or a um, and a chief technology officer, they, they definitely have um, a um, head of mobile brand building um, because I uh, was at um, 
um, Mobile World Congress with him last week. Uh, <laughs> and then um, they would also have the CMO. So, so that's who would be there from their side. Um, and then from the, uh, the other side, it would need to be whatever agency – or I would even say a media owner like a Facebook or a Google or a um, Verizon AOL or a Yahoo. It would need to be whatever of those companies can provide data points that they could look at and, and, and pull insights from and learn from. Um, and there's numerous ways to sort of get at those data points or, or use them. Um, you know, um, so an agency's entry point might be who has clicked on certain um, social posts or who's watched certain videos or who has clicked on certain ads. And all of that is tracked, um, well, if it's desktop-based through cookies. Um, whereas if it's a Facebook or a Google, then they would be looking at who has engaged with the brand and or things that relate to the brand on their social platforms and they would be connecting back through their social IDs to pull insights about those people. So what kind of stuff would they be testing? Is this their brand messaging or is this like the overarching big vision of Coca-Cola? Yeah, you know, it, it could be, um, it could be that. Um, but one thing that you, one thing that may be possible is let's say, Coca-Cola puts a um, article on Facebook and then they are able to know and look and get further insights um, from the Facebook social graph of all the people that clicked on that article or that looked at that article. Um, and then that might tell them things that are actually like epiphanies. Like they may find out that Oh, well, a lot of people that, you know, like Coca-Cola live in the Northeast of America, or a lot of people that like Coca-Cola also like, um, you know, General Motors car brand, or they also like um, horses, or they love CrossFit, or they prefer, you know, beach holidays to mountain holidays, and their favorite musical artist is Madonna. I have no idea. But the thing is, those data points uncover epiphanies that are absolutely impossible to find out or, or to make the connections. Um, so it's those exact types of points that Coca-Cola could then take away and say, oh my gosh, we had no idea that these are all the things our consumer loves and does and interacts with. Let's start from there and develop our value proposition or our positioning or even our new TV ad um, based on what those data points were able to tell us. So before this, you know, we might say our customer is between 18 and 35 and maybe they graduated college. But what you're saying is with social data now, we can actually hone in on very specific trends in who is buying our product. Totally, totally. And, you know, and, you know, that's the interesting thing is, I mean, you know, you and your podcast, I mean, the people, you know, listening are like, well, yeah, all this is obvious. Hello. Um, but this is not the way Fortune 500 companies work yet. 
um, they're still not working that way. And this is, this is still a big aha. And it's definitely not the way that the agency world works because um, around, the, around the 70s, 80s, 90s, a- agencies actually decoupled the people that are today getting the data points from the people that are doing creative interpretations. So when those two people aren't necessarily in the same building, on the same team, the sort of opportunities I'm talking about fall through the crack, fall through the cracks. Um, but, but yes, you're exactly right. And, and I mean, the interesting thing is, instead of the old way, which might be, oh, we'll just do some interviews and have some focus groups and test some mood boards and and then we'll come up with some cool idea that the entire world is supposed to find appealing. I mean, that's that's really crazy and hard. Um, but now today, you can have all these subsegments, so um, you could you can you can make different spots, or you could even hire different influencers to talk to your different audiences in different ways. Um, and I think that's the be- that's that's some of the beauty of, of of all these data points that we're getting from everything basically digital based. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's talk a bit about these micro teams um, that yeah. you discuss in the book. Cause I, I feel like that's something that, you know, even startups or, um, you know, mid-level companies could probably learn from. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the thing about the teams is this idea that like um, small nimbleness sitting near each other, getting things done, having the representatives from the different parts of the, of the um, marketing team or the marketing needs uh, working together. Um, and, you know, it could be having um, people that are really good at pulling data that is more um, uh, data that takes a little bit more work to, to find. Um, so uh, cookie-based data or social, uh, social ID-based data. Also, with people that are just more accustomed to doing, like, social media listening. Um, So, you know, using your uh, social media listening tools. Um, So you've kind of got everybody together um, and able to act on things. And it might be um, finding out a new insight that might might impact your um, video that you just happen to be moving into production next week. But it might also be finding out that something's going viral that day that needs um, the brand to take a point of view on or to jump into um, and participate in. But the, the idea of like bringing all those people together and ideally having them set close to one another is, it is still in itself a new concept. Yeah. Um, and uh, lots of these... Lots of brands and lots of these powerhouses, you know, these are departments sitting on entire different parts of the building or entire different offices. Um, but that's just, that's not how we have to move today and the pace we have to move and the, react, the reaction we have to be able to, um, to have so quickly. I would love to, to, to I don't know if, if this is something that you cover in the book, but you mentioned something interesting about the immediacy of an issue and having a brand get involved um, 
Do you, when have you seen this go right? And and when have you seen it go wrong? You know. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, yeah, love that question. I think you know the the times that it goes wrong um, are, are very obvious to us, right? So um, we're like, oh my god, did you see that thing that brand said in social media? One I, one that's coming to mind, and it just it makes me cringe every time is Crocs, the brand that makes the rubber shoes yep, yep. that are you know you can spray them off with a water hose and they're <laughs> clean. Um, not the most glamorous brand. Um, and I wouldn't even, it's definitely not the most aspiring brand, right? Mm-hmm. Well, on the day that David Bowie, the amazing creative soul that is David Bowie, the day he died, they put out on Twitter an image of their white rubber croc shoe with a picture of David Bowie's iconic um sort of lightning bolt zigzag on top of it and said something to the equivalent of your inspiration will be missed. <laughs> and it's just cringeworthy. It's just cringeworthy. So, so social media just clearly had a field day with it and then they took it down. Okay. <laughs> right. um, so, but, but, but that is an interesting example of getting it wrong um, because there's a couple things that happened there. They clearly didn't know their audience, mm-hmm. um, and they did it, or they didn't know um, the positive sentiment about their brand or the negative sentiment about their brand. And all of those things could have been easily put into some sort of a social strategy if they had just looked at data points before someone received the mandate to run the Twitter handle for. Uh, the brand. Right. So, you know, if they had looked at social sentiment, they might see that a lot of people don't think of their brand as being very interesting or creative and it's more maybe utility or maybe it's good for chefs. I don't know. But it's, um, I think it's actually a really good example of why it can go so wrong. Um, and um, so that would, that would be one. Um, in terms of how it can go very well, um, I think, uh, I think it was just, it was on Valentine's day actually. So it was very recently Adidas put out a picture of their new shoes, but it, it, and it was a new shoe for women, um, some version of a boost kind of runner shoe. Mm. And I think they've specifically made this shoe just for women and it just, so happened to work well that they had two women in an embrace on Valentine's Day and they were showing, you know, their feet. Um, and clearly, um, you know, Twitter being what it is, a lot of people felt the need to express their views or political views. Okay. But um, but Adidas, you know, was just right in there and, and you say, you know, um, you know, to, and, 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 and very positive and upbeat and um, knew what they were doing, and 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 it actually has has played out very well for that brand. Interesting, um, yeah, and it, that's risky yeah. too. But you know, yeah, yeah, but it but it worked for them because they exactly. they were self aware and they they knew where they stood. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and I think it's you know these brands have to know who their audience is, um, and the way to know who your audience is today at scale is to look at 
the many different data points you can pull in. And only then do you know if you have the right to talk about inspiring musical artists or if you have the right to talk about, um, you know, uh, the same-sex uh, marriage or whatever. Um, and that that's that's two examples of two brands where um, they knew their audience or did not know their audience. Yeah. So um, what is, you know – we know that like larger brands either, you know, they do this right or they're, they're still trying to figure it out. Um, what's a takeaway that a, a kind of up and coming brand could, could, you know, what should they take away from this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's two things. I think one would be social media is just as much about listening as it is about saying or projecting. And I don't only mean about listening to words people have written. I also mean listening to the signals they might be getting from social media. Mm. Um, You know, negative sentiment, positive sentiment, or even just looking at the profiles of the people that are following you because they may not be writing anything. Right. Um, and that will tell you something about your audience. The other thing I would say for, for a smaller um, business or um, one that doesn't have sort of these astronomical budgets of like a Coca-Cola or a P&G is that every dollar they spend in marketing should um, create, if possible, a data point. So that their marketing is not just a place to project messaging and feel like it's going into this wasteland. Um, there's this famous quote that you know uh, a CMO says, "Oh, 50% of my marketing budget is wasted. I don't. Ju- I just don't know which 50% it is." <laughs> so that shouldn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> um, and especially with smaller companies. So for every dollar they spend to project and to say something and to try to connect with people, they should also be getting data points back and learning even more than they knew before. Interesting. Um, and that's a beautiful thing you know, that digital can do for us that you couldn't do in the days of, say, print or even the days of broadcast television. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's so true. Um, so, yeah, so thank you so much for, for coming on here. Where can we keep up with you, and uh, where do we find the book? Yeah, well, um, the book is in the Amazon uh, US and UK and Canada and Australia store. Um, It's Listening Brands, How Data is Rewriting the Rules of Branding. Um, And in terms of following me, um, I am on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and on Twitter it's, um, J underscore R underscore little. Um, and on LinkedIn it's J R little. Um, and I write and I, I, I publish, um, in those spaces, uh, quite often. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Big thanks to J.R. Little today for coming on. If you'd like to read Listening Brands, you can find it on Amazon. Just search Listening Brands or J.R. Little. Big thanks to our sponsors today, Design Crowd. Go to designcrowd.com forward slash rocket ship. You get $100 off your first project. So whatever you need design, be it a banner, a social ad, or even maybe your logo. 
for your new company. Go to designcrowd.com forward slash rocketship. Also, big thanks to segment.com. Go to segment.com forward slash rocketship and you get $300 off their team plan. So stay tuned. We have the last episode in our data series coming up on Wednesday. We'll be looking at the future of data and the implications that data has on our society. Looking at data as currency and and how companies today are using our data basically for profit. So it's a really interesting episode. Some fantastic interviews with Elliot Pepper and Andrew Keene. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please, please, please leave us a review. I know many of you haven't, but you're still listening. So just take the time right now. Just click on five stars or leave us a quick review and tell us why you're listening to the show. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You could follow me at Michael Saka and Joel at Joel Goldman. All right. We'll see you back here in just a couple of days.